Hello and welcome to DEI Today, a podcast where we discuss topics related to diversity, equity, inclusion, and belonging. Our goal is to create a pathway of equality and belonging for Black, Indigenous, and people of color. I'm your host, Dr. K. Edwin Bryant, and on today's show, I'm very excited to have with us Gatsby Brown. M. Gatsby Brown has an unparalleled passion for the nonprofit industry. Her work and impact are testaments of her strong belief in the necessity of outstanding boards and good philanthropic practices. Her firm, The Gatsby Group, has helped hundreds of nonprofit organizations acquire billions of dollars. She's on the faculty of the fundraising school at Lilly Family School of Philanthropy and serves on board of trustees at Bethel University. Gatsby is an author of several books and a well sought after speaker. Gatsby is also the architect of so many nonprofit organizations of training and developing and teaching their teams and their executives what philanthropy really means in the world that we live in. Gatsby, thank you so much for being here. I'm so glad that you're on our show. Wow, it's such a pleasure. I, I need to take you everywhere with me to, to introduce. That was quite an introduction and I liked <laughs> everything you said. <laughs> <laughs> oh, thank you so much. Listen, I tell you, uh, I just tell you, our listeners are in for a treat. Um, you are the leading person in the philanthropic world about what it means to be engaged, uh, what outcomes and results mean for persons who uh, want to be able to support individuals at the local level, state, region, corporate, nonprofit level. You have just done it all. And so I want my listeners to understand more than just philanthropy. I want them to understand the impacts of uh, the world that we're in, the times that we are now uh, engaging in. And then honestly, I want to hear and maybe get your viewpoint on what the present state of philanthropy is in our country. Where is that at this moment? Philanthropy is in a very good place even though in 2020 there was some uh, thinking that uh, the giving would go down to nonprofit organizations. And in fact, it went up $470 billion was given to nonprofit organizations and charitable organizations in 2020. And we are waiting with bated breath to hear the new report from giving USA which will give us an indication of how much was given in 2021. We're expecting that that figure of 470 billion will increase. And that, uh, and that's because people really in their hearts want to give and want to have humankind advance in a way that is meaningful. So that's where we are in terms of the broader macro look at the amount of money that is being raised and I just want to encourage nonprofit uh, folks that are listening and those who are involved either in boards or a recipient of that uh, it's, it's very, very important that nonprofits have a mindset of abundance rather than scarcity, because that is that $470 billion is nothing to sneeze at. And I want to also uh, add, Dr. Bryant, that uh, there are three sets, there are three sectors that drive this this country. That is okay. government, business, and the nonprofit sector. 
So don't sleep on the nonprofit sector being important in driving the U.S. economy. So with that, that's in broad strokes uh, the way I look at it. That is that's powerful. And uh, what you have espoused is uh, quite different. You know, being a um, ancient historian, uh, the philo philosophers in the ancient world would say something like this. Only give to those who have the capacity to give back. But what mm -hmm. I've heard you say is that there are so many people who have resources that want to touch both government, the business sector, and more importantly, the nonprofit sector. And I think what you've stated is just phenomenal, that we should have a mindset of abundance and believe that our vision, our mission, our goals are not only actionable, but they also can drive results and have outcomes in ways that will get the attention of those who want to partner. And honestly, if you could help us understand kind of what's the ideal partnership when, when a, someone who wants to engage in philanthropy is looking for uh, a person or organization to connect with, what kind of drives that, if you will, as much as you could share? Well, I, I'll start with saying on the nonprofit side that if the nonprofit yes. is fulfilling its mission, it has earned the right to ask. And in the particularly in the major gifts area of philanthropy and major gift that really varies from nonprofit to nonprofit, whatever you set as the, the nonprofit's major gift levels, that's fine. But major gift donors don't be, give because of your need. They give because of their need. And it's the responsibility <laughs> to bring <laughs> these two things together because it is donor centered. So nonprofits who always look, I call them staring at their navel, always looking at what we need, we need, we need, wrong approach when it comes to fundraising oh, with individuals. <laughs> oh, thank you so much. What you what you share with us is so powerful in that the nonprofit has to be very careful not to make themselves the hero, but instead make the hero the giver and then allow Absolutely. the giver to have a well-structured, uh, great infrastructure and network for them to be able to live out those interests. And so I Absolutely. have to ask the question, mm -hmm. you know, so, uh, yeah, I just wanted to add right quick that there is a, a study, a high, a high net worth study conducted by U.S. Trust, which is the uh, same thing as Bank of America and the Lilly Family School of Philanthropy. And uh, high net worth people say that they trust the nonprofit to do the work that they couldn't do alone. So this is something that wow. nonprofits should really, really keep in mind. There's already a trust factor that's at the plat at the, the, the very platform of building on the relationship. So I just wanted to uh, interject that, but go ahead. You have such yeah, great no, questions. No, that is powerful uh, because that's what we want. We want our listeners to be able to hear. You never know, there's someone in the audience, they're listening, uh, they're on podcasts, they're walking their dog, they're perhaps cleaning their home and they have a desire and a passion to do something that's meaningful, but they don't know how to connect what they want to do with the resource. But what you've done is help them identify. Maybe it doesn't start with you and what you want. Perhaps it starts with what the giver wants to do and then how what your vision is connects to that. So you have helped our listeners beyond measure. Listen, I have another question now as we get to the uh, the meat of our conversation. What is the overall perspective on diversity, equity, and inclusion 
in the nonprofit sector. You deal with a lot of boards. In fact, I have your most recent book on my bookshelf. You deal with a lot of boards, leaders, executives, and I'm certain you see uh, whether those organizations are diverse. In some ways, do they practice equity? Is equality something that you see that's scaling or trending or something that you even see as possible? What's kind of your viewpoint? What's the footprint right now? You know, the real deal conversation about diversity, equity, inclusion in the context of nonprofit spaces. What have you seen? The real deal is yes. that I've seen the good, the bad, and the ugly. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> and thank goodness there is the, the good that we can point to. There are some nonprofits who get it, who understand diversity, equity, inclusion, and belonging. And it starts at the board level. If it doesn't start at the top, it really does not uh, trickle down to the rest of the organization. Uh, I don't believe that there can be any of that at the staff level without the board being that. So let me just digress a little bit and, and see where I am and, and kind of explore my thoughts on diversity. Uh, diversity in, in too many instances that I've seen that are the bad and the ugly is uh, just a matter of checking off boxes. Mm. Now it's a start. But it is uh, sometimes it is a checkoff of a box, and that does not get deeply into the running of the organization. Then I've seen inclusion, and for some nonprofit organizations, that has been interpreted as we are welcoming you to our table. And when you're <laughs> welcoming someone to your table after you've eaten, and then you say, "Okay, you can have a little tea." Now that I've finished the main meal, uh, that is uh, why some of the nonprofits are asking, well, we hire folks, but they don't stay. And this is one of the reasons why they don't stay because of that attitude. We are welcoming you to our table instead of the equity centered, which I'll move to equity, equity centered, meaning that um, you are a part of the organization. You are valued for what you're bringing to the table. For example, too, with inclusion, I've drawn an organizational chart of what that looks like. And in inclusion, you have a few administrative assistants, maybe a manager down the line, but it is not in a decision-making, a true decision-making position. But in equity-centered, which I call equity-centered courageous leadership, you have wow. people who are on the executive committee of the board, that the board is equally balanced with people of color, African-Americans in particular, because that's my lived experience and I believe the most marginalized uh, population. And so uh, with that, there needs to be some course correction. And that course correction begins with awareness. It leads to relationships because without relationships, you don't see the real value. And uh, then with commitment, because I've had a couple of nonprofit people ask, well, we want diverse people on, on our board, but we don't just don't want to put them on there because they're black. <laughs> well, you wouldn't be putting them on the board just because they're black. So it begs, begs the question, are you asking for super qualified black board members while you are mm. accepting mediocre white board members or vice versa. Oh, that's powerful. Now, this is what this show is all about. Thank you for being candid and being forthright because it helps the listener, helps our audience uh, really understand kind of where things are. And I think what you raise is great in that uh, that 
equity-centered focus, that courageous leadership. That's what it takes, that courageous leadership to be able to point out when the box is being checked, to be able to identify and point out when others don't not, do not have the same type of requirements as non-whites in those environments and the overall strategic priorities of the organization. If the executive level team, the board of directors, if they do not have diversity, equity, and inclusion as a priority, then you're exactly right. It won't filter down through HR. It won't impact any employee resource groups, staff, and the way they gather and how they interact will be impacted by it as well. And a lot of people think that when you walk through the door of a corporation or a nonprofit organization, that they divulge themselves of what's happening in the world. No, they bring those things into the workplace with them. And if we don't have the primary or at least better the empathy to deal with these matters it can disrupt not only just a nonprofit, but it can disrupt any organization and i think you're right there must be courageous leadership to make that happen and, and speaking yes, of courageous yes sorry, I, <laughs> yes it is it, it takes courage it's not for the faint-hearted at all and i would also say it's a, a way of changing a way of being with a leadership style as well, to get away yes. from un unconscious dominance, yeah, where uh, everybody is either for you or against you, and then uh, that leader feels threatened by uh, talent, talented people, which uh, when people of color come in and ready to do the work, and then they are put down by unconscious dominance, then you get the exploitation, well, you're only there because somebody believes that the boxes should be checked, right? And then yeah. uh, the, the whole thing about objectivity, uh, objectification rather, uh, not objectivity, but objectification where yes. um, you're using tropes to describe, you know, I don't know how many times I've been described as an angry black woman, but those, these are the kinds of things that must be uh, taken care of and eliminated and our vocabulary, and and then you've got the whole thing about control, that they're the workers and the executives, and nobody has anything uh, worth anything to be said unless they're at an executive level. So all of these things uh, really represent a ball of wax that needs to be explored, and a change of being needs to take place. Oh, that's powerful. Any Harvard alum out there, you heard not only the light, but you also heard truth. I know light is the moniker, but you heard both light and truth in this moment. Gatsby is setting us ablaze. This is powerful because she's placing us on a path to fully understand what has to happen for nonprofit organizations to fully live out their values, their strategic priorities, and be able to really impact communities in ways that their givers, their donors, want to see that happen. Listen, how can nonprofit boards become more involved in the fundraising process? What, do, what have you seen them do well? What would you suspect would be growing edges? And then perhaps how could you point us toward uh, nonprofit boards doing a better job of being prepared to make the ask? Oh boy, that's a loaded question, but a great one. Um, <laughs> Let me start with the, the three duties required of board members by the IRS when a, a nonprofit becomes incorporated, the duty of loyalty, care, and obedience. Uh, 
So all of those have to be adhered to, loyalty, care, and obedience. Then the other uh, thing that is so important that a board member should agree upon before joining the board so that there is no buyer's remorse is to understand that there is a need to have uh, fundraising as a core value and uh, an activity that a board member should be involved with. Now, fundraising can scare a lot of people, but it is a matter of being trained on it. And there are various aspects of fundraising that you can, that board members can be a part of. Mm. Setting up the meeting, using your network to make sure that the access to people that the reason why you're on the board is because you have some access to people. Setting up that access to the staff members, Uh, sending out thank you notes, making a couple of calls, being a great advocate. Now, not all board members are talented enough to go to make the ask. And if they're not, I would say, please don't take them on the visit because they're not going to get the job done. And so it is very, very important in the beginning to understand too. And, uh, I've written a chapter in a book called Achieving Excellence, the fifth edition that's put out by the Lilly Family School of Philanthropy. This little thing is not in there, but uh, there are five W's that uh, nonprofits should look for in a board member. Wealth, wisdom, work, Mm. woo, and wow. Wealth (laughs) speaks for itself. Wisdom, you need some people who this is not their first rodeo and they know how to serve on a board. You need people who will do some of the work, roll up their sleeves, not micromanage, but roll up their sleeves and do some work. Those that know how to woo others to your cause. And then the the fifth one is wow, being so passionate about the organization until others will want to be a part of it. So... (laughs) I Should I stop there? <laughs> oh my God, that's that's just phenomenal. In fact, you know, I'm betraying myself now from being a host to being a pastor. I will share that again, but I'll have to pray about giving you credit. <laughs> <laughs> now you oh, talked about Lord, light and truth. <laughs> <laughs> the that truth is, is the light. <laughs> Oh, my word, that is powerful. I will incorporate that, just those five principles into anything I do, not just about being on a nonprofit board. I think just any person in leadership should be able to, in the right context, take those few segments and apply them in a way that I think brings meaning and value and allows other people to add value. You said something earlier about the checkbox meeting that we've brought you to our table. What I heard you say is if you onboard people correctly, then the table is widely open because you've already made certain that the people who are being welcomed, the entrance ramps that are being created, allow them to fully live out who they are. And it fits within the very strategic priorities of the organization. So if it's done right, you're right. It should be, people should be highly recruited very focused engagement in conversations and making certain they can really do exactly what they said they can do. Uh, making certain that the relationships that they bring are not just for the board. You said something to me that is just powerful, that it has to also be for the staff. It has to trickle down 
to those who are supporting people at board level. It has to trickle down to those who are supporting the executives. Now, I have to ask the big question. I know our time is almost over, but we have to continue this in another way. But I have to ask this question. Um, you've seen a lot of boards. You've spoken so eloquently about the challenges, the growing edges, the opportunities. But I have to ask this question as we end. How do you think white privilege can be reframed at the level of boards, particularly nonprofits? In your course of your work, the balance of your consulting, the way in which you have led, mentored, and nurtured leaders, what do you think is one key thing that can be done to be able to help either point out the impact of white privilege upon those in the organization or invite people to a space to talk about it. What do you think is meaningful needed in your world of the nonprofit sector? And you can touch so many more, but just in the world of nonprofit, what do you think is necessary for us to advance uh, our agendas and our strategic priorities and for a business to just do well? What do you think needs to happen? Wow, that's that's a, another great question. I'm going to attempt to answer that by dividing it up a little bit. Yes. Because I recently had a conversation with uh, the head of a Christian organization, a faith-based organization, and uh, their openness to diversity, inclusion, equity, and uh, and belonging really stem from Jesus's teaching and the teaching of the Bible. And that cannot be denied. We know that there is a real rift in our in the Christian community uh, just because of conservative evangelicals and those that are more enlightened. However, if you go back to what we believe, that says that love your neighbor as yourself. Yeah. <laughs> it's really as simple as that. <laughs> and so, who is your neighbor? And that's everyone. And what does that have to do with forming relationships, which I talked about before, the awareness, relationships, and the commitment that are at the, the very uh, fundamental level of understanding what DEI is. Uh, and so with the more secular nonprofits, and I work with them, them all, it is really getting back to awareness. Mm. I have a, a presentation that I make called Going in the Same Direction, and it's raw. It's provocative. It's from the oh, wow. African-American experience, and it, it mm. really shows what has taken place that has mm. led us to the point where we are now. I've had uh, board members that I've presented this to said, oh, I'm feeling white guilt. No, that's not it. And I've had yeah. the other spectrum where this other group said, we don't want to see dead black men uh, on a Saturday morning. So they weren't ready for the message. It's raw, it's provocative. But without mm. the awareness of what has taken place, the white privilege will kick in because of the bootstraps myth that, oh, my grandfather or my ancestors came to this country, they had nothing and they built X. But we didn't come to this country willingly. We came as enslaved people. And I'm talking about black people now. We came as enslaved people 
And as a result, our experience is totally different. So I think that awareness helps to broaden the thinking on white privilege. And then from there, having relationships and making sure that there are people that uh, they are um, navigating with socially within their uh, social constituency, that if they are in uh, places of power, that their vendors are a people of color. If they are looking at government officials and how they need to navigate, making sure that they are intentional about that. It's all intentionality. And then the commitment, what are you going to do? I think about, and this is really, really going back when Richard Pryor, the comedian was uh, (laughs) strung out on drugs and Jim Brown, the football player after Richard Pryor talked about all of the reasons why he was strung out and as an addict and Jim Brown just said, well, what you going to (laughs) do? And so that is the question. After learning all of these things that uh, really hit home and are squarely in the face of what white privilege has done and has not done, Mm. what you going to do? My goodness, there is no way other than what you've done to end a segment like this. What a powerful expression of awareness and taking action and just being connected to the lived experience of one that's not your own. And that will help to drive the conversation. As you said, we're not after white guilt, we're after awareness. We're after awareness that leads someone to an awakening that would look around themselves, see what's happening on the news, see what's happening in the media, to be able to see what's even happening in their own community and be able to know, not necessarily divulge yourself of your white privilege. I don't think I can imagine anyone that would want to go into a store and have someone follow them around. That's generally the lived experience of most blacks. I can't imagine someone want to divest themselves of that. But I do believe that there are challengers, people who understand their white privilege. They know the way in which it works, but they're willing to your point, able to step away from it, to be aware and to activate that awareness in a way where they do something. I really believe that diversity, equity, inclusion, and more importantly, belonging becomes possible when we take that step. We become aware. What yes. you going to do? <laughs> you know, what is it? You have all this information. You can index anything on Google. You have case studies. You have academic reports. You have practical and pragmatic ways of expressing, you know, culture. But after all those things are said and done, what will you do? And I think you said it. Love your neighbor as yourself. If you have the courage to do that, then it's possible to practice diversity without erasing difference. Listen, Gasby, I'm so excited to have had you today. Uh, If someone wants to connect with you and they want to find out your availability to come and nurture their boards, their executives, or even speak to their teams. And perhaps there are nonprofits in the, you know, secular space or even faith-based that say we could be enhanced and our ask could be increased by your knowledge and awareness. Can you come support, help us? How would they do that? How can they connect? How can they get your books? 
How can they connect to your resource? How can they connect to the Gatsby Group? Oh, another great question. Please contact me <laughs> and contact us at thegasbygroup.com. And uh, in the subscriber area, uh, make sure that you subscribe and we will, I promise this, we will get back to you within 48 hours and you will be a part of our email list. And also if there is a specific request, you will get an answer. Amen. Thank you so much. I really appreciate you taking the time out of your busy day to share with us in this way. Listen, thank you again for listening and watching this episode of Diversity, Equity and Inclusion today. Please subscribe so that you can catch our next episode. There's a lot more to talk about, a lot more work to be done. And we just have to ask the question, what you gonna do? Thank you so much. We appreciate you. We'll see you next time. Until then.